0: All right, we're going to get going here. We've got a lot to cover. Um, so, I want to introduce you to this guy. We found him on the side of the road, and he uh, seems to be like a cool guy. So, we brought him in. And, and now, this is, this is Marcus Meyer. He is our new worship pastor. So, can you guys give him a hand? And even more importantly, his wife Rachel is sitting here on the front row. <laughs> so we are so blessed to have them. He uh, actually doesn't officially start until Sunday. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He has to be very careful. So, uh, anyway, without further ado, uh, here is Marcus. Thank you, Thank you. Yeah, I better be careful <laughs> what I say. They still have some time to reconsider this. So, so guys, I need lots of amens, lots of hallelujahs, lots of... I'm just kidding. <laughs> Help me out here. No, I'm just playing. Well, like um, Pastor Mike said, my name is Marcus and this is my wife, Rachel. Marcus Meyer, if you read it, sometimes it's Marcus Mayer. You, you reads Marcus Mayer, but Marcus Meyer. I'm just playing. Um, and we have seven beautiful children that are going to be joining this rock family, and we are so amen. Amen. I I think Mike showed a picture on Sunday of the crew, the clan, the small basketball team or small <laughs> soccer team, whatever I have on my. Um, but we are just so blessed that God has landed us here. Oh, am I on the screen? Yeah, there we go. There we go. Okay, so, I can't even go in order, but, but our adopted daughters, Minnie and B, we've adopted them from Ethiopia. Whoa, where are we at? And, that's all I get? Can you put it back up? All right, we'll move on. It's fine. It's fine. Anyway, and then, um, there we go. All right. You guys are messing with me, okay? Is this like a hazing? Is this like my first time to speak and you're just throwing up slides? No. So these are our daughters, Minnie and Bee. Uh We adopted them from Ethiopia seven years ago. This is our firstborn son, Isaiah, and, and our daughter, Zion. They're 14 and 13 now. Reese is 11. Hudson is about to turn 10. And Harvest, who I'm from Texas, and we, we have a word called a spitfire. Do you guys? Yeah. Harvest is a spitfire. And she is five years old. So, And I'm so glad I remembered all their names because sometimes that's a hard thing to do with seven children. All right, you can take that down, or people won't listen to me. They'll just look at my beautiful wife and my beautiful children. Rachel and I uh, met in Kansas City. I grew up in Amarillo, Texas. Any Texans in here? Come on. Some of you guys are like, oh, no, not another Texan. (laughs) And then the Texans are like, yes, another Texan. All right, someone I can relate to. I'm just playing. I grew up in Amarillo, Texas, and made my way to Kansas City right when the International House of Prayer was beginning, Um, and that's where I met my beautiful wife, and we spent 14 years laboring in Kansas City. The Lord put a vision in our heart of his worthiness, and that he was worthy of night and day worship and prayer on earth, just like we see in his throne room in heaven. And that caught us in our 20s. And we set ourselves in the house of the Lord to minister to him day and night. Now, there's many people who do that in Kansas City, of course. We don't stay in the room 24-7. But we had our part to play, our part on the wall to worship and to pray and to cry out for revival in our nation and the nations of the earth to see God glorified as he rightly should be. Amen. 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 And that's still a big part of us and our ministry. But then in 2013, the Lord began to lay the nation of Brazil on our heart. And we moved our seven children, our family of nine, to Brazil. And we labored in Brazil for a church plant that would raise up a house of prayer in southern Florianopolis. And... That church is still going strong today. It's about six, 700. They pray seven days a week, 18 hours a day. They start at 6 a.m. and they go till midnight. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Four years ago, four years ago, they just had this vision. We had this vision. We're going to call young adults to night and day worship and night and day prayer. And we begin to travel across Brazil and just sound that call. And in about six months of travel, 55 young adults moved to southern Brazil, and we started a prayer room that went 12 hours a day. Amen? So the Lord called us back, and I'll give more details later because I have five pages of notes in 25 minutes. Oh, my gosh. God, give us grace. Now I'm just like. The Lord called us back to states, and he highlighted Colorado Springs. And for the last three years, we've labored with a missions organization called Every Home for Christ and a missions organization called AX. It stands for Antioch Center for Training and Sending. And Every Home for Christ enables indigenous people groups to share the gospel door to door in a very practical way. And AX trains young adults here in the States to go serve in missions in some of the hardest and darkest places on this earth. Places like North Africa, places like the Middle East, places like Southeast Asia, places like Asia, where, where the gospel is restricted and people are hostile toward the gospel. They're hostile toward Jesus. But we believe that the love of Jesus has power. Amen. We believe that the gospel, the good news that God has given us to preach actually has power. And the Holy Spirit can open the eyes of the lost. And when you preach, and when you speak, and when you testify of the love of Christ, when you testify of his glory, when you testify of his return, the Holy Spirit does something. Amen. And so these young adults are in the nations right now. And they're serving the Lord with fervency. And I'm so proud of them. But in January... The Lord began to speak to us, to Rachel and I, about the local church. And we knew a transition was ahead. And we stepped out in faith in June, not knowing where we were going to be. Our kids, we had to prepare our kids maybe for a move. We had to prepare. We didn't know where the Lord was calling us, but we knew we were to obey and follow his voice. I felt a lot like Abraham. I had never, like, <laughs> Lord, I had always known where I was going when the Lord spoke. He said, go here. And I'm like, there it is. And then the Lord said, trust me, step out. I'm going to open up a place. I'm going to open up a door in the local church, but I'm not going to tell you. You just have to obey first. I was like, oh, Lord, this is a little scary. And that culminated to us being at the Rock. Praise Jesus. Amen? So we are excited about our new church family. I'm excited to get to know all of you. That's a lot of getting to know, I know. But (laughs) You'll get to know me, I'm, I love conversation, I love people, and I'm excited of what the Lord's going to do in our city and in our nation through the rock, amen? amen? All right, so we have been going through the armor of God. I'm going to just start reading verse 10, and then we're going to land on verse 16, and we're going to talk about the shield of faith tonight. I think it's funny that Mike had the word, we walk by faith and not by sight, and that scripture did not make it into my notes. <laughs> I looked at Jim, and I was like, how did I not think of that scripture, we walk by faith and not by sight? But we have some other good ones. That's because Mike, the Lord gave that to Mike, that wasn't my part, amen? All right, so everyone open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, or open up your app Now, I heard the worst joke in the world, but I have to repeat it. This is wonderful. It's like the best dad joke I've ever heard from the platform, okay? The preacher said, if you're a phony Christian, you can open up your Bible app. Oh, my gosh. I know. Just the groans, but that's going to stay with you. That's going to stay with you. I'm just kidding. Verse 10, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How many of you are grateful that we can be strong in God? That he doesn't say, be strong in yourself and in the strength that you produce. I mean, we would just start crying, right? I'm "I'm not strong. I have no strength. Paul says, no, be strong in the Lord and in the strength that he's going to give you, in the strength of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, since we're wrestling, that's what Paul's saying. He says, therefore, since we're in a fight, therefore, since we're called to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, he says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Guys, we live in an evil day. And the Bible prophesies the days are going to get more evil. We need to take this seriously. We need to know that we are in a fight. Paul calls it a fight. Paul calls it, he calls it a good fight. We're going to get to that scripture in a minute. But it is actually a fight. It's actually a wrestle. Now, I'm really grateful that Paul was discipling Timothy, was discipling the Ephesians when he said this because I'm, I'm glad he wasn't saying, no, life is great. No, nothing ever goes wrong when you're a Christian. That's not my experience. <laughs> it's a fight. Praise God he says that or I would be the most depressed man on the face of the earth. So if it feels like a fight to you, you might be doing something right. Amen? That you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand, and oh, sorry. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. J.R. did a wonderful message on the breastplate of righteousness. If you missed that, you can go back and and listen to that. And he also did a great job on this next verse. And as shoes for your feet, for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We're supposed to be ready with the gospel of peace. We're supposed to be ready with the good news. Amen? We spent a whole, we just went on a pastor's retreat. I was so blessed to jump on staff. Well, I wasn't, I'm not on staff yet. <laughs> but that this all worked out, and I was able to go on a pastor's retreat with the wonderful men and women of God that he has given to the rock. And I fell in love with these guys. I've only known them for like three days. And I was just like, this is the happiest, most fun, most sincere, most godly group of people I've been around in a long time. And I was just grateful the entire weekend. I guess it wasn't a weekend. It was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So the entire couple of days. that this, These are the people I get to run with. Praise God. I don't know why I said that, but let's move on. Okay. (laughs) Now, verse 16. It says this. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts or flaming arrows. Don't think of, like, you know, a little dart. (laughs) Think of a bow drawn and an arrow coming at you from the enemy. The enemy wants to take us out. He wants to kill us. It's his motive. He wants to steal from us. He wants to destroy us. And he knows if he can get to our faith, if he can cause that shield of faith to lower, he's like, I got him. I got him. Paul says this, but with the shield of faith, you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That's amazing to me. Not one, not some, you can ex- extinguish every single one. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. One, uh, a preacher that I love said this, God, who could at any time conquer the darkness, employs human agents to do war with the darkness and to fight them in order to get the victory. And the reason being is that in God's unsearchable wisdom, more glory is going to come to him, and more joy will come to us as we experience breakthrough and as we experience victory. God doesn't need us. He really doesn't. It would be an easy job for him. We're his bride. We're his partners. We're his friends. We're his sons. We're his daughters. We're his soldiers. And he says, I want you to experience joy by experiencing breakthrough, by experiencing victory. And I'm going to put you on display, says Ephesians 2, for all the ages that everyone might marvel at my leadership and would worship me because of it. That's what the life of faith, the fight of faith, the shield of faith produces in the age to come. God receiving glory. From us living a life where we trust in Him. Amen? So I found the same illustrations JR was using, and I was so happy when I found them. Put up the Roman soldier with the shield of faith. Yes! There it is. I'm like, I found him. That's amazing. So we're going to keep on with these same illustrations, okay? He's got a bigger shield than my guy. Yeah. <laughs> Now, the reason I use this is because the Roman shield at the time, it was called the scutum. Say the scutum. You'll never remember that, but it's fun to say. Okay. And the shield was as large as a door or a small door, and it would cover the soldier entirely. Do you see that? See how the soldier can get behind that shield almost with his entire body? The armor on his gospel shoes of peace is covering his feet, but every other part is covered by that shield. The shield would cover the soldier entirely. And such a shield was used for defense, but could be used for offense. It could be used to push back the enemy as well. Amen? Now, the soldier with this shield was fine being protected from the front, but he had nothing behind him. But when a group of soldiers were taking a fortress, or when a group of soldiers were, were enclosed and the army was surrounding them, let's go to the next picture of the group of soldiers, They would use their shields so to form an enclosure around themselves. And this was called the tortoise or the turtle. Doesn't that kind of look like a turtle? And so for the soldiers back to be covered, guess what? He needed fellow soldiers. That's us in the fight of faith. I need my faith, but I need your faith as well. I need you to be strong in faith. I need you to speak to me. I need you to know the scripture. I need you to say, that's not the truth. This is the truth. Sometimes we can fight by ourselves, but we need the body. Amen? And these shields were often made of wood, and then before they would go into battle, they would wet animal skins, and they would cover their shields in wet animal skins, and the wet animal skins would do what? They would extinguish the fiery arrow that would get lodged in that shield. Okay, so that's a little bit about the Roman shield. We're going to come back to some of those analogies. Again, Paul's using this this metaphor, and it's it's not perfect. It breaks down like all metaphors do. There's only one who is perfect, and it's hard to describe him. But Paul Paul says that we have a shield of faith. So our first question is, what is faith? So we get to go to one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. I love this chapter. This chapter helped me transition in my last season. It gave me strength and confidence that God who heard Abel, who heard Enoch, who heard Noah, who heard Abraham, who heard Samuel, who heard David, the God who heard those men, the God who responded to their trust in him was going to respond to us as well. Amen? I mean, if Elijah, James says, was a man just like you and me, I don't know. I read the life of Elijah, and I'm like, I don't know if there's much similarity between me and Elijah. (laughs) He was quite the man of God. James says, no, no, no. He was a man just like you. He was tempted just like you. But he chose to trust in God, and he prayed, and the heavens were shut. And he prayed again, and the heavens were open. He said, I'm Elijah the Tishbite when he came before Ahab. And you know what he said of himself? I stand before the living God. That was his identity. One who ministered to the living God as a priest and as a prophet. We can make those same decisions, amen? We're called to stand before the living God. That's not in the notes. You get that one for free. Okay. Now, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith. It's, uh, let's go to Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. We're going to go through a lot of scriptures tonight. You can just write them down. You can look them up later. I have my wonderful screens. Michelle, back there. You're doing so good. Thank you so much. Okay, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation the NIV says that this assurance word is confidence by confidence in things hoped for I love the King James version it says faith is the substance of things hoped for I love that because it's it's talking about faith being real on the inside of us it's not ethereal it's real Peter calls it gold when trials come Gold of your faith is revealed. You have gold on the inside of you when you are trusting in the living God. And then, Hebrews goes on in verse 6, and it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. So faith is pretty important, right? Now don't think of a God that's like up there with his arm crossed and he's like, just try to please me. He's not that at all. You can put a smile on the father's face when you trust in him. He's a father, and he's easy to please. Did you know that? When I am with my children, I am looking to be delighted in them. That's what God is with us. He's looking to be delighted. I mean, they could say the joke that's not funny at all. And I'm laughing. I'm like, ah, that's so good. Give me a hug, you know. I'm looking to be delighted. In, I'm looking to delight in my children. God is looking to delight in your life. And he says, when you trust in me, when you put your hope in me, when you put your hope in my word, he says, oh, they're loving me. They're trusting in me. I love this. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon them. I'm going to give them that which they could not produce. Without faith, we can't please God, but with faith we put a smile on his faith. On his face. That's hard. Without faith, face, faith, face. Okay. We'll take that one back and practice that a little bit. Let's move on. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we've heard that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence of things we haven't seen yet. So what are these things? that we are hoping for? What are these things we haven't seen yet, but we have confidence that we're going to see them? I think in the believer's life, I can see two things. Now, there's probably more than this. The, a better preacher than me could probably come up with 20 or 30, but we're just going to focus on two today, okay? The first one, The things we have assurance of, the things that we are confident in are the personal promises or prophecies that God has given us about our individual life. How many of you have prophecies given to you that resonate with your spirit and are confirmed in the word of God? It can't be outside of the confirmation of the word of God. But you have prophecies about your life. Raise your hand. Good. The majority of us in here. I say, if you don't, just ask the Father to give you some. <laughs> That's all you got to do. Hey, talk to me. Give me some promises. Give me some prophecy. Guaranteed, you start asking that question, someone's going to come up to you in this church. I just had a dream about you. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And you're going to be like, Lord, you hear me? <laughs> Sometimes we don't have the prophecy just because we're not asking for it. Lord, speak to me. Tell me. A lot of the time, he's going to use someone else to tell you. Did you know that? He loves for us to be a family, to be a body, to be a group of soldiers fighting for one another. So, first, personal promises or prophecies given to us by God. And second, the things we're hoping for, the things we have confidence that we're going to see, are corporate biblical promises, as revealed in Scripture, that God has given every believer did you know that anything you find in the word of God can be yours? If you take hold of it by faith. Anything. Anything. Anyway, we'll get into that later. Oh, it just it makes me happy. Amen? All right, so personal promises. Let's, let's, let's talk about these personal promises. Now, when I look at my life, I see these, how these promises kind of fit into three categories. The first one is the pledge of God's personal empowerment. Amen? It's the personal word that I will be with you. Now, that's a corporate word given to us in the Great Commission. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But sometimes we're walking through those things, right? And we need to hear that God sees, He knows, and that He's with us. Second, with personal promises or prophecies... We could get a summary of specific responsibilities, what the Lord wants us to put our hands to, what we're actually doing with with our lives to bring him pleasure. Amen? And the third one, I'm going to tell you a little later. You say, oh, my goodness, you're sneaky. Yeah, some of you, you're not going to go out and take that phone call. You're not going to go to the bathroom. You're going to be like, oh, I want to know that third one. No. I'm just kidding. Okay, wow, time flies. Okay. So I see in First Timothy 1, 8 through 20, we see Paul directing Timothy to wage warfare by the personal prophecies made over his life. Let's look at this scripture. It says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. Now, this charge that Paul's talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 1, is to, is to battle, to fight with false teachers that have crept into the church of Ephesus. Timothy's the pastor of the church of Ephesus, and it's one of the largest churches in the world, okay? It, it, Ephesus had experienced one of the greatest revivals the book of Acts describes, okay? And Timothy is now the pastor, and many, I mean, the revival turned the economic structure of the city upside down. How would you like a revival to turn the economic structure of our city upside down? How would we like the bars to close, the da-da-da-da, the da -da? I mean, you've heard it all your life. I've heard it all my life. Paul experienced it. And then he leaves and he sets Timothy to pastor it. So, evil, I mean, uh, uh, false teachers have crept in. And Paul is charging Timothy to wage war against them. And he says, I charge you, I entrust you, Timothy, my child. And then he says this, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them, say by them, by these prophecies that were previously made about Timothy, Timothy was to wage the good warfare. Guys, it's warfare, but it's a good warfare. Amen? And then what does he say? Holding faith. It's almost like Paul is about to write Ephesians. I don't know where they, they happen in the, in the order of the letters. But it's the same thing as Ephesians 6. Fight the good fight. It's language of warfare. And Paul says holding faith. I just think of that shield. Holding faith and a good conscience. And Paul goes on. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So Paul throws another analogy in here. And it's the analogy of a ship in war. And if a ship were to take a cannonball to the hull and it pierced, what would the soldiers do? They would try to plug the hole. Amen? It's not even a thought, it's not even a question. I got to get that hole plugged or I'm dead. And some who were in Ephesus didn't plug the hole. And Paul has this crazy statement of he says, and among them are. Hymenius, I think that's how you say it. Whatever. And Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they might not learn to blaspheme. I'm not going to unpack that one right now. We're going to move on. Okay, here we go. So, Paul's encouraging Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, there's prophecies that have been spoken about you. He says, remember them and remind God about them and stay in the good fight with them. Amen. oh, man, we could go on and on. In my life, this has worked out. I'll just give one example from my life with personal prophecy, and then we'll spend five minutes on the next. I was a 12-year-old young boy raised in the church, and at 12, I had a conviction that the Lord was calling me to ministry. How many of you know the Lord can speak to 12-year-olds? And we need to affirm them, if they align up with Scripture, if they, you know, if if it's like this is God, we need to affirm them. And I had parents that affirmed it, praise God. We need to be parents that affirm the callings of God on our life, right? So I had parents that's like we agree with that. We we've thought that for a while. And then at 14, I had a prophetic gentleman, and I was in a meeting, and he called up a, a row of us young guys. And he prophesied over me about being a worship leader and about writing songs that would go to the nations and all these things that just sounded so glorious. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, I got the prophecy. Yeah, I'm called to ministry. Everything's good from here on out, right? (laughs) So when I began to step out, I had two problems. One, I was a terrible singer. I was terrible. I was a good musician. I was a terrible singer. Couldn't hold a pitch. My sister was a good singer. I tried to sing with her. She'd just be like, why don't you just play? It was bad. So I was a terrible singer, and I could not write a good song to save my life. They were terrible. And that was at 14, and I did not extinguish that fiery arrow that was in my shield until I was about 21, 22 years old. I, it just, it stuck in my shield, and it just kept burning, and about 21, 22, I began with the personal prophecy that the Lord has spoken over my life. I received a, a few other prophecies that confirmed it, and I just got tired of hearing it, because I was like, my voice is terrible. I can't write songs. Another person would say it. I'd be like, oh, stop it. <laughs> now, honestly, I just felt bad. I was just like, Lord, I'm not living up to what you want, and that was the not the way the Lord was seeing it, but that's the way in my immaturity that I thought, you know. But I began to, at 21, 22, I began to take this seriously, and I would come out of a bad vocal lesson, and I'd be like, no, Lord, you've called me to be a worship leader, and the fire would go out in that era. I would try to write a song. It'd be terrible. I'd be like, no, Lord, you've called me to take your scriptures, to turn them into songs for your people to encounter you, that discouragement would start to to lessen. And it was through a slow process of taking those promises to the Lord and saying, God, help. Discouragement is actually meant to lead us to prayer. (laughs) Sometimes we just get discouraged and depressed, but we forget to say, help, God. And as I begin to say help, I begin to have a little victory and a little victory and a little victory and a little victory. Now, Rachel and I could go on about our family, about our children, about different things in our life, but that was just a, a, a memory that came up today. Okay, so let's move on. Let's go to the slide that says, things hoped for, confidence in things unseen again, further on down. And let's talk about this second thing of Holding up our shield of faith. Corporate, biblical promises as revealed in Scripture that God has given to every believer. Now, personal prophecies are wonderful. And we need them. But we also need to know what the Word of God says that we are. We need to know that the Word is power. That the Word has life. And we need to wage warfare by the word of God. Again, it's the example of Jesus being tempted by Satan. What was it every single time? It is written. It is written. It is written. And we need to hide the scriptures in our heart. Now, they don't have to come out, like, memorized every time. Sometimes you got to, like, search a little bit. Like, I'm dealing with depression. Where's that scripture? I've heard something about joy. and the, Oh, yes, yes, Galatians 5. And you do a Bible study. and you, you find, oh, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Lord, your word says that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Holy Spirit, fill me with joy. Drive back this depression in Jesus' name. And as we wage that good warfare through scripture, we begin to hold up that shield of faith. And those, it's like... The blankets on our shield. The animal skins on our shield. It's like God pours water on them again. And that arrow comes and it's extinguished. And didn't say we weren't going to get hit by arrows. Guys, we're getting hit by arrows every single day. We need to learn how to take those thoughts captive. There's my Roman soldier. We need to learn how to take those thoughts captive. And wage the good warfare. So I was just thinking, okay, our bodies. What does the Lord say about our bodies? How many of you guys are in perfect health all the time? And if your hand goes up, I want you to pray for me. Okay. There are promises in the Bible about our bodies, about our healing. There's are promises in the Bible about our resurrection. Mark 16, verses 15-18 through 18 says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation and these signs will accompany those who believe. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. I love the rock. Because I've already experienced believers taking this promise as truth and obeying Jesus and praying for believers. And we see healings, right? But we don't see healings all the time, do we? And some of our sicknesses are going to lead to death. Jesus says this, we have hope in the resurrection. One of my favorite things to think about is our resurrected bodies. I don't know why. I'm just a geek.